Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Cooper and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This is episode 47 and a sit-down I had with Daniel Moran. Most people will know him from various projects, been quite a few projects, chiefly of which being, being Reaper. And we, I was trying to we're trying to get our sorts of schedules to run the same time so we could sit down and actually have a, have a chat because we always talk quite long and, and, and in depth about metal. Um, Daniel's a really, uh, really good, good guy, um, young, if you will, on the scene and stuff, with really good insight and what it's like to be a band now and kind of some advice that he's kind of learned and maybe fell foul to it'll probably worth listening to if you're a younger band learning how to kind of get get the things forward and kind of move forward with your own your own act we, we talk in a depth he's very very honest about what happened with one of the bands that he was involved in that were you know on the cusp if you will of success and 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 deciding not to do that and do something else and you know for his age he's incredibly sort of mature outlook on things i thought it was very refreshing and we talk about metal we talk about guitar a lot as well if you if you're a guitarist this is a nice episode because we we, we dig we dig deep on on guitar and stuff and he's a guitar teacher as well so just i thought, I thought that it was kind of really interesting to sit down with him see what you think take a listen as always uh, leave your comments suggestions about people that you think i should get on the show about a ton of people suggested now i made a lot of friends friends of various shows which is one of the reasons by the way you should go to fucking shows is you meet people that you, you just it doesn't work like that online you can meet people you talk to them and and have conversations in real life in real life can you imagine that and then so a lot of these people have gone you need to speak to so and so on uh, the about on the spoken metal show so i will do so i'm going to chase all these people up and start doing that if i can get the vacuum preview up i will do i'm definitely going to do one for for bloodstock but that's all all, all coming as well some really nice news i'll I'll just tease uh that maybe on next show i can I'll break or as we get closer to it i can break but until then and um, listen to this is me sitting down with daniel moran really nice chat and tell me what you think so where do we start where do we start well the, the fucking most obvious thing is that we're there's two idiots in a room now because we picked one of the hottest days of the year to sit in metal garb, if you will, uh, in a little tiny room in, in, in Curly's Music, which we come to, and thanks very much to Curly for, for letting us do this there, Ace. So, yeah, uh, one idiot to another. Uh, <laughs> what are we doing now? Sitting in a room. What are we doing? Okay. I've wanted to get down on the show for ages because um, every time we talk, we always talk forever, and we're always like, we're always t- talking yeah. really passionately about metal and the scene and everything. And I figured that someone else would find that interesting, probably incorrectly, but someone else will find that interesting as well. And I thought you had a really interesting take on, on, on stuff, and certainly an interesting word, well, window into the world of what it would be like when you as a musician now and, and as a metal musician now and all the kind of different formats things you know social medias de jours that you use and all that so but also i i really get on with dan dan reminds me of when i was a when i was a young much younger man and kind of just pulling every sort of facet of music and being in everything and listening to everything and so i uh you know i've talked about his him and his band on previous shows so it just seemed like to make sense to sit down with the guy and just kind of like literally thrash it out and just talk about you know what we love the most and more about the scene that we've got locally and more about his band and the things that he's going to be doing and the things he's been involved in i just thought that'd be interesting so without further ado it's like thanks very much for doing this stuff. i feel it's very fitting that you decided to interview me in all places in a room that looks like a padded cell it is a padded it's, cell uh, it's you, pretty apt what are we talking about four foot five foot by five essentially this is a room that people are meant to come into practice guitar with one teacher one guitarist and they kind of do that and even then it's pretty close and yeah. it's tiny you're more um, 
be more likely to measure it in inches than you are in feet. Yeah, I'm not. Listen, I, there's no complaints, <laughs> but gee, if we could do it, and we can't because the way the noise works, I'd love to do it in a lovely pub with a lovely beer, and that'll be fine. But alas, that that opportunity doesn't have us. So we're surrounded by all the paraphernalia of um, and detritus of kind of of, of music things like a, an Ibanez premium to one size, a wah pedal. Mm. There we go. But this is. Dan's lot. This is wherever the scene is always knee deep in music. You're always yeah. kind of doing something. Yeah, um, it feels it feels weird when we when we stepped in here because I was saying before we started, I was like, I have this edge to go and check in the waiting room to see if any of my students are waiting. So I'm like, you I'll teach Fridays. You, te- you teach as well, don't you? So yeah. we'll, we'll get into that because there's there's many facets to kind of to what you do. So we'll get into that. But the normal sort of way we, we go with this, we talk about the first time you heard music. You know, that's all necessarily metal. But the first time you heard music, can you remember it? Oh yeah, no, I remember it vividly, okay. very vividly. Um, my dad has always been a massive music aficionado. He was a phenomenal guitarist until he kind of lost interest in it. Yeah. Um, and he had an accident, which we'll probably get into later on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, when we were talking, um, back when I was a kid, I used to like sit at home and play PlayStation Two. I was just a typical large nerdy eight year old playing a PlayStation Two until God knows what hour. God, I feel then, old now. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Shit. Uh, and um, my dad comes in and he's like, "Hey, um, I want you to come and pick up my mum with me because my mum works in the Genton Casino just opposite right. here." Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's not far. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's a great lady. And um, yeah, so he was like, "I want you to come and pick her up with me." So we're okay. gonna go and grab her. Yeah, I was like. Usually, I'd have just been like, eh, whatever, yeah, sure. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't know what it was about that night. And this sounds like I'm bigging it up. It's, it's genuinely not. <laughs> I, I did genuinely think, something about this feels like it's good that I get in that car. Okay. So I get in, and my dad's got this cassette tape that him and my mum had made together. Wow, okay. And, uh, because back when they like uh, back when they like exchanged tapes and things like that when they were kids, exchange tapes. Exchange tapes. That's what the kids call it. <laughs> I think. Yeah, the kids. Did she like did she play old. an instrument or what? And no, no, my mum's not musical. Oh, all. okay. My dad was. It's basically on my dad's side. Um, so, so they made a tape together, or yeah, so yeah they made like a, they made like cassette tapes and stuff like that. She just liked this band, you know, Foreigner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She liked the Foreigner. Oh, okay. and my dad yeah. also quite liked Foreigner. And that's kind of kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. So my mum and dad um, had like a few of them on on the cassette tape and uh, they also had um, Tamara Clapton on there. Sure. I remember two songs. I remember one in particular was the first one that I heard and we were driving on the way down to the Mums Casino. My dad pops this cassette tape in. I hear Urgent by Foreigner and I'm like, this is pretty cool. This is rad. The saxophone solo is great. Yeah. And after that, Jukebox Hero comes on and yeah. all I remember is hearing that song and everything around. It's massive, around, it's just massive that song, isn't it? Like, and I was yeah. like, that's what I'm doing. That yeah. is what I am doing. And then after that, my dad showed me uh, Eric Clapton. Similar thing, he played Pretending first. And I was like, this is really cool. Then I heard the intro to Bad Love and I was like, oh yeah, is that a guitar? And I was like, yeah. I was like, all right, you're getting me one of those because I'm learning that. Yeah, I mean, I Jukebox Heroes, obviously, that's fucking, that's a huge it's, song, like with a huge riff massive. and a huge sort of sections to it. But the other sort of three, you know, Urgent and someone, you know, someone say like Pretending, Silly Bad Love, and like, all of their big songs for them, they're relatively deep cuts, you know, if you, yeah. really, you know, considering you're a guitar player. You know, most people would have bet that it was something like Layla or something like that. You know? Oh, yeah, no, I, so I, I, the first time I heard Layla was on the Unplugged. Right. Um, yeah, okay. so I, I actually didn't hear the legitimate, well, not legitimate, but the original recording of Layla yeah. until I was about 15, 16. It was yeah. a long time because 
as much as I love Clapton and as much as I respect him and as much as I owe to him to bring me into the whole guitar world, yeah. I don't really listen to him very much. I was going to say, because someone listening now will go, hold on, I've heard Dan's band. I, I can't hear any foreigner. We are blues. Or, 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 yeah. But David, David Start and points to you, did you go, okay, mm-hmm. how does that noise get made? Yeah, so I was like, okay, how do I transition from here? So then my dad threw me a bunch of other bands and he showed me Black Sabbath, where I fell in love with Dio, rest in peace. He showed me uh, Neon Knights, which was the first song. Okay, that's a, that's a big jump. Because when I heard that, my dad was like, okay, I'm going to throw you a bunch of bands and just kind of see what happens. So he showed me ACTC, quite like them. Sure. Showed me Sabbath, and then ever since they were my favourite band. Okay. Ever since. Because yeah, yeah, I yeah. heard War Pigs. And so he started it. with Paranoid, or did you just do the whole, did you get everything? Oh, you just, you, you, just, and... you just threw songs at me. Really? Yeah. And then um, we started getting into albums a little bit later on when I started really taking the guitar seriously. This sounds awful, right? <laughs> but the reason I really, really got into electric okay. guitar was because of Guitar Hero 3. <laughs> <laughs> so I forget I, that there must have been a generation of guitar players spawned. Spawned from Guitar Hero, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is like the songs on that playlist... Of, of music there's like, some badass got, stuff like, on there like, mate, yeah. mate, the first time I heard an Iron Maiden song was through that with is Number it, of the Beast is, is it Number of the Beast yeah, I, was yeah. say Number of the Beast. I had Number the first time I heard Metallica was I had one and then yeah. as soon as I heard one I was like right I'm going to go and listen to Metallica and yeah. then I just swallowed their so discography when, when did like your dad's got guitars lying around because he plays guitar is that how you mm. picked up the guitar first then you he, yeah, your dad he, just kind of had one lying around he had an old classical guitar and he right. got me one when I was about 8 years old for Christmas yeah, from yeah. my granddad's shop which is Moran Sound in Gattaca okay. back to my granddad's shop okay. uh, older shop in Liverpool just dropping that and then when um, my dad started teaching me the first few songs he was teaching me he just showed me some chords right. and then he was like right I'm throwing you in the deep end because you learn really quickly right you like, picked it up quickly alright yeah, yeah. I was like okay what do you want me to learn fucker showed me eruption <laughs> Shit. On a classical, the tapping well, section, he, not everything in, else. In, in fairness, but, he, he, I mean, this, this well, everything would have been out by the, the, the large amounts of Van Halen stuff would have been out there. You, you know, you could have just said, see, wait, it's a Spanish fly. That was the, that was done on a, on a nylon string. It street. was, yeah. So you, yeah. It's not a, mil- I, can, I can kind of understand his mentality. I mean, it's fucking crazy, but I can yeah, understand yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Because it's like, first of all, look, here's the top of the mountain. That's what that's because that's yeah, most yeah, yeah. for most people that's the top of the mountain for technical guitar playing. Once mm. you get into technical guitar playing, you realise that that's not that's like kind of genesis of it. It's not the mm-hmm. whole thing. But it, I can understand why he maybe shows you that. And then and certainly I was on a, a you know a nylon string one, which is a little bit easier to play. Some would say maybe to tap, depending on the action, can be quite easier to play. Yeah. So yeah. did you should, did you just like go? What the hell is this? It sounds like Morse code. Or? <laughs> well, he only he only showed me the tapping section, right. and I was like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And the thing is, the tapping section for eruption, when you actually get the technique of tapping, it's not particularly it's not really that difficult. crazy. Yeah. 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 The hard part is all the stuff before, yeah, yeah, before yeah, yeah. the tapping section. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I learned that. He showed me the trees by Rush. He showed me a couple of... Wow, that's... That we're moving sense. we're moving quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're moving quickly yeah. through he, that. Like, he, threw, he threw everything at me. This man. is one of the benefits of having someone who's a musician around you, and certainly someone who's a parent who's around you as a musician, because they're just, they're just constantly feeding you this information, yeah, 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 constantly yeah. throwing that, these albums. Yeah. And, good, and they've listened to all the shit, yeah. and they've, they've still filtered it, and you're just getting the good stuff. Mm. And that includes learning and instruments. Mm. As well. well, that's the interesting thing as well. And as, as I'm talking about this, I'm starting to realise why my music taste is so eclectic because it wasn't just all the guitar stuff that my dad was showing me. Obviously, I had my own taste in music because I was listening to things like Disturbed and even some of the better My Chemical Romance songs. I don't right. care. I don't care. That band's belter. Right? <laughs> I don't care. 
right? It's it, they're well. I mean, their hits are really good. So um, I've not delved into anything else. But I've got a load of students who like them. But yeah, I was listening to a load of that kind of thing. I got into Metallica on my own. Eventually, I got into Megadeth when I stopped becoming the whole Metallica fanboy thing of. It's like shut up, Megadeth. Well, it's uh, what I find that happens, and I'm certainly you know Metallica were, were my band back in like mm. you know the early early to late eighties. Yeah. You know, I'm kill them all. I'm talking about going back to them. Um, you know, and a lot of people, that's where they, like Maiden can kind of sometimes have this as well, where people stop them. So they yeah. go, okay, I've got as far as Metallica, that it's no one going to be as big or as, you know, in their mind as, as them. So yeah, yeah. that's the top of the mountain. They're my band. There's the flag. There you go. And never go beyond that. Yeah, never no. go, go, well, hold on. Who were they listening to? Well, they were listening to, uh, you know, Budgie and Diamond Head and, and things yeah. like that. And it's like, don't you want to go and listen to them as well? Because if they thought they were good and you think they're good, why wouldn't you? You know, so that's kind of what, from that, I, you know, realising that, you know, Mustaine was in Metallica, that's, yeah. that was my link to, to Megadeth. Yeah. As I imagine, a lot of people are Metallica, Megadeth. You that, know? I, that, I think, is the key thing that I do actually some advice for anyone who wants to start a band and has like a particular band in mind that they'd like to start em- not emulating but yeah. being in the same kind of vein of don't try and copy their music copy the guys who they copied yeah, yeah, yeah. so if you want to be a band that's like got a similar kind of vibe to Metallica and you want to kind of stray into that direction go listen to Diamond Head Budgie Leonard Skinner and yeah. Deep Purple well, and then and, the, and the whole uh, the whole punk side as well the anti nowhere mm-hmm. League all that type of thing all the stuff that kind yeah, of made yeah, sure. dot, 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 mm-hmm. dot, dot, dot to get to Metallica you know yeah, and yeah. that's I mean you'd ask yourself a question you know if they hadn't existed you know we wouldn't have uh, the millions of billions of good of garage based bands that we have now but then you could argue that for like Led Zeppelin you could argue that going right the way back so you know for me the, 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 I used Metallica as a springboard to get to other bands and, and for me and probably the same for you as well I went darker and technical as well I took those two two branches off mm. and so you wanting to crave to hear a lot more stuff and kind of you know what's going on and who did they influence is that where you and, and, I've, and obviously having a multitude of different um, sort of taste is that where you went kind of proggy then did you kind of really um, fall into that or was it a bit the, later on the progressive stuff was kind of just I ended up making friends with a lot of people who listened to that in particular yeah. um, Pete the old drummer for Reaper he was the guy that showed me Dream Theatre mm. for me I kind of bookmarked my musical life by like the people that I was or the bands sure. that I was like yeah, obsessed a lot of people with yeah, so yeah. the first one for me was Metallica that was the first yes. like I, I could and I could, I could probably still do this now at least up until the Black Album, I could name you the year of the album, the yeah. order in which it was released, and the track listing back to back in order from yeah. album to album. Yeah, every time I put on, um, I put on Quebec Magnetic, which is like the last, the last live one. I watched yeah. that a couple of weeks ago, and I, I was watching it. And I normally do this when I'm watching a music thing. I'll have my guitar with me and I'll play bits and pieces. Oh, mm-hmm. I went through that virtually. I think without stopping, with at least having a fair go at every single riff, that's how much I remembered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I remember that riff? You know, don't get wrong, a couple, uh, couple of squeaks and, and, and bits and pieces in it, but generally played through the whole thing. I was like, yeah. Christ, I know they're all back catalog. Where's mm-hmm. that? It's yeah, sitting yeah. somewhere in the, in the subconscious. Mm-hmm. So then when you started playing, was the was the, was the one guy, was the one album where you were just like, he was he or she or that was your thing or did you still or you, did you continue moving through or was it was it John Petrucci was it James Hatfield oh it, for guitar player yeah yeah no, not really I, uh, not, not in particular I think 
if I really had to nail it down, my favorite guitar player of all time is probably a very hard toss-up between Tony Iommi and Alex Lifeson. Okay. Those are definitely my, my two boys. Uh, but with regards to how I kind of came across and practiced things, I never really isolated myself to a particular guitar player because I'm really glad I didn't. I didn't really have the foresight for it. It was just a yeah. guess. Because that's mindset, the other side of that is that as a band, we talked yeah. about like kind of, you know, falling to trap a sound just like the band that you like. Mm-hmm. But also the trap of the guitar player sometimes can be that you just end up sounding exactly like yeah, the person you love, which yeah. is the kiss of death because it's like, well, we've got that person. Yeah, yeah. Don't need another I've one. heard this before. I yeah. don't want to hear it you, again. Why, you know, are you going to be as good as that person? No, because they're the person you really like. So you've got to learn to pick and yeah. choose the, your, your tastes. If you're in a subjective style. medium and you go out of your way to emulate another musician, start a tribute band or don't go into originals because you're not going to get very far you'll hear you'll hear this all the time there are plenty of bands across any given scene no matter what country it is that will go out of their way to go we want to be like this band Mm. and it's like cool why okay because they've got these components okay so you want those components you don't have to be the band to have those components plenty of other bands have those but if you want to emulate that band if you do that fine but the problem you're going to have is all of the die-hard fans that are into them are going to go well we've already got this band why should we go and check out another band that's basically just doing yeah. you know the best of their b-sides yeah, yeah. and then you've got the other side of it the people who aren't fans of that band in which case no disrespect you've fucked yourself yeah, because yeah. immediately you're out of the line because they don't care about the band you're yeah. trying to emulate for, for me you, for me the, uh, like, as it commonly comes up in these conversations that we have with people is like the whole tribute band thing is that for yeah. me I, I've got nothing against tribute bands uh, I, think, I think they're fantastic as long as they're providing a service that doesn't already exist and by that I mean so if I want to see um, a, a rainbow tribute band well they don't exist anymore mm-hmm. you know, so we can't, you can't see them anymore um, I, if I want to see uh, Motorhead I can't see Motorhead anymore so yeah. I'll watch a tribute band because they're providing a service that doesn't exist anymore you, yeah. you, I'm not taking money from Motorhead because I'm, I, there's no other seeing them mm-hmm. then the other bands that uh, like so Rolling Stones cover band I've got no real problem with that because it's hard to see the Rolling Stones it's not yeah, impossible yeah, yeah. but it's harder you know, they're very really tall you know, it's like uh, there's a Rammstein cover band have you seen this? No, I've not. Who the f- what? You've got to have a set of bollocks to be a Ramstein. How how would you pull that off? Ninety percent of this show is. I've never seen this the show, so I probably shouldn't really comment. All yeah. I've seen is that there is one and it exists. Wow! And you're like, That's really? Strange. How are you doing that in the pub? You know. <laughs> in fact, now I want to see it. Yeah, now, now I kind of do. But there's a dude dressed in latex firing a flamethrower between the legs and the, in the leg. If you don't want to, if you don't want to do that, like uh, you know, if you're, if you're not provincial, like so say for example, there's a band playing the. MS as we unfortunately have called it arena there yeah. and it's like what 40 50 quid a ticket i think metallica was 100 pound mm-hmm. and then two days or three days later in a, in a, in a same sort of area another band's playing it and it's like why do that yeah, why, just why do that yeah it just seems like noise and, and in this day and age to cut through the noise and get through to people you've got to sound as different as you possibly can you know yeah, you've yeah. got to really kind of you know Go go fair then go kind of deeper into yourself. So when you when you were playing, mm-hmm. do you, when did you make the move to play with other people? 
Okay. Did you um, jam with your dad though? Did you play with your dad? I played sometimes, yeah, for yeah. a good bit. Um, the first time I actually ever played live at all with the guitar in my hand was with my granddad on stage because we did a cover of Holy Diver and we just kind of. He's not a big. He's not a Dio fan at all. Like, right. He's way, way more into like his fifties, sixties stuff. Sure. And he's yeah. more of an. He's a massive Eagles fan. Okay. And um, which is where I got a lot of the stuff that I listened to from them for yeah. and played with them. But Anthony and I from Reaper, we've known each other since we were like four years of age. Like, we are childhood friends. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I've known that as long as I can physically remember. Yeah. So, we, as soon as he saw me with a guitar, he was like, I don't want. Okay. And then, when, because we started talking about it more in high school, because I wanted to pick up an electric, we both got an electric guitar around the same time. Right. And because of that, we were like, right, so how do we get good at this? And it's like, okay, well, let's go and learn a bunch of songs by a band that's really good. So we're like, what do we both like? Metallica. Okay, right. We're going to go and learn the entirety of the Master of Puppets album. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to rehearse it how, until how, it is how, airtight. How did, you, how did you... What were the mechanics of you going to learn a song then? Because I mean, you were learning at a different time to what, when mm. I was learning guitar and some of the, the, the people that, uh, that I've spoke to who were like, we're doing this 20 years ago. Mm. How did, what was your sort of route then? Did, was YouTube then a thing or...? or? It kind of was, but we really did not go out of our way to use it. The thing we used was there's a site called Ultimate Guitar, and this I is kind of where this, yeah, 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 yeah. this is where we learned that tablature is really not very good. Yeah, because so, you don't have yeah, you have people's interpretations. Uh, they yeah. went how Lennon yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we did was we played the song along, and then we started playing the rhythm guitar. Oh, I right. played the rhythm guitar part. He played his lead. We okay. started getting that together. And as we were listening to the songs, we were like, okay, well, that's not right. And then we tried to get it as close to correct as we could. Yeah, so we realigned the tablature as soon as we were playing along with the songs. That kind of worked quite well. And from there, Andy and I were playing along. And the thing we realized was we kind of had a bit of, a, we had a good ear for structure. But equally, we had a bit of a tough time not being able to play when we didn't have vocals. Because we right. didn't want to play the song at the same time. Because when you're playing amplifiers in an attic and you're playing yeah, through yeah, a yeah. phone speaker, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So Andy was like, we need someone to sing. And I was like, I want to bring someone else upstairs and have them sing, so it's got to be one of us two. Okay. And then he went, well, I'm not doing it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I did it. And that's how I became a vocalist. Because you, out of invention, yeah, 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 you wanted yeah, yeah. and you wanted to get, okay. It's yeah, just like, well. I wanted to keep it between you and me. Did you so. change your guitar playing when you decided to sing? Uh, no, not really, actually, uh, because Andy and I actually bring this up a lot whenever we're talking about riffs, whenever we're writing anything nowadays. If the guitar riff is hard, but it sounds like it's the best way you can play that riff, yeah. I'm just going to have to learn and put up with it. Because right. the thing is, I don't want to compromise a perfectly good riff because I don't want to practice playing and singing it right. at the same time. It's like, okay, well, that's your job. Yeah, That's I, my job. I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, keeping it with Metallica, I'm reminded of like Sad But True, like the, the verse riff for that. Mm. So that verse riff is intrinsic. He says it on the, the the year and a half in life. Oh, it's intrinsically attached to the vocal line. Yeah, playing it on its own sounds really weird. Singing it on its own sounds really weird. But together, they kind of sit perfectly. Yeah, together, yeah, yeah. You know, make they, this, this wonderful thing. Because mm-hmm. the it the verse parts like it, you wouldn't write that as a riff. No, no, no. But it works, you know? It, it's very much kind of a percussive thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, we, there, there are times where we can come up with things like that. But equally... Reefer is very much more an instrumentally focused band than it is a vocally focused band. Right. That's slowly shifting to kind of favour the vocals a little bit more. Is that more. a confidence thing? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. We just, we're really good at that. I'd say like our prime thing is writing the instrumentation. Right. I'm a decent, I'd say I'm a decent lyricist. I write some good stuff and I've gotten a lot better over the years, I think. Uh, and the vocals obviously sit well on top of everything. But Annie and I are guitarists first. Yeah. So because of that, it's like, okay, well, what's our main strength? And it's like, well, it's us as guitar players. 
I've got a good voice on me, I think. I do all right. So let's put that out front. So I'm like, okay, let's put that out there because we do need a vocalist for this. But yeah. the thing we almost always write first is the instrumentation before I even touch vocals. Right. I won't go anywhere near them until I know the instrumentation is rock So were solid. you writing in the attic? Were you writing songs then? Or were you still learning? Not for a while. We, didn't, we were playing in the attic when we were about 12 years of age and we eventually formed Reaper when we were 14. Didn't gig, played some covers and things like that and then eventually reformed in January because we had some arguments and things and stupid teenage crap. And then we started in January again and we were like, right, well, what are we going to do? Our drummer at the time, Adam Toomey, who was our first drummer, he said, well, there's about other bands in my school. It's a gig. There's going to be loads of people there. Let's learn some covers and play it and just see how it goes. And I was like, sure, fuck it, yeah. why not? So we ended up doing Hit the Lights, Prowler, Tornado of Souls, and because we won... Fucking hell, Tornado of Souls. Oh, yeah, that went down with How about it? <laughs> yeah, it was fun. And then um, after that, fortunately, we won, which was awesome right. for our first show. We played to about, like, it was about 150 kids in that yeah, school. Yeah. And then the last song we played, we did an encore for Symphony of Destruction. Okay. And that was great fun. Yeah. And then we were like, this is really good. We should do more gigs. And then we started off as a covers band. Right. And then we started putting that together. And we were like, we should probably write something soon because that's kind of the aim. Yeah. We wrote a couple of songs, eventually pieced them together in Vulcan Studios. And then we started getting more and more of them. We realized we could probably, um, I think we needed to switch the line up just because Adam wasn't working out. And uh, Matt at the time, Matt Pruden was our first bass player. It was the original real proper super duper lineup was me and Matt and then Pete and then we started writing more songs which eventually made up the VAT which eventually made up uh, Birth of Chaos which yeah. was our first album yeah. and uh, when we were writing songs for that a lot of it kind of just came from me and Andy would sit there play around on some guitar ideas and then as soon as one person's uh, as soon as one person heard it and their ear twigged and went that yeah, we're that, using that, that. Yeah, yeah. and then we go keep that I don't know what riff that is write a few more around that and we'd all start learning and go slowly piece it together yeah. we are very slow writers at the time <laughs> very slow sure. in case you haven't noticed where we have been around now since 2011 it is now 2019 this band's existed for eight years yeah we have one album out <laughs> sure so but, that, that that's interesting so when you're um, whilst you're doing repair Mm-hmm. Uh, as as I alluded to earlier, you're you're not one to stay still. You're not one to kind of just do. You you, mm-hmm. you you try and do as much as you can. Yeah. What were the other things you were doing then, whilst you were kind of getting Reaper to be what we know it as now? Like? In the initial stages of it, I mean, because Reaper kind of grew up when we were playing, and you know, when we were still in high school, it was just a very slow moving band because of the nature of us not knowing how to take ourselves seriously. Yeah. We didn't know. We had no clue. All we wanted to do was write songs, play yeah. live, and hopefully it ended up doing that. And fortunately, and this is the biggest asset I think we have professionally as a band is we've got seven years of hindsight of knowing how not to do things. Yeah, you've got a good idea of what you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now that we've really started to take ourselves seriously, now more than ever, I feel like we're in a position where we've had seven years of screwing up and now we're like, okay, let's do this properly now. And now, because I've been in a couple of bands and features in a few bands and you know started doing covers and things or yeah. started covering for people when they've not been able to play in other bands like scare tactics right yeah, i've covered for their guitarist marty a couple of times yeah and um, now that i've seen a lot of the other bands knocking around i've kind of got a lot of information from them and gone right okay how do i use that for myself yeah so building the formative stages true answer honestly in the first three or four years we didn't i didn't really do much else because i just wanted to stick to them right. we just practiced all the goddamn time yeah 
Um, eventually, I joined what was then Equinox, okay. and then because I was in two bands at the time, I was like, okay, this is getting really like. What was what was Equinox then? Equinox was what ended up becoming National Rich, right. which is a more of a recent thing. Okay. Um, so at Equinox, I auditioned for as a vocalist because our bassist at the time in Reaper Matt said that his mate auditioned for them. And they were doing like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin covers and things. So I was okay. Like, okay, I'll go and do that because if it's a covers band, they might make some dollar. I go down there, find out they're an originals band, and I hear some of their songs and think, yeah, there's potential here. Yeah. So I start piecing them together, putting the structures together for them because they didn't have much of a like structure or anything like that. Right. And then as we started piecing them together, I wrote lyrics. We played some gigs. Things went really, really and well. And this is all vocally. Uh, yeah, I'm sole vocalist okay. in Equinox. Um, after that with Equinox, uh, we started getting quite, we started building up a lot of traction quite quickly. Right. So it eventually became uh, me, uh, Jess Stanley, um, and then at the time there was Jay Bold, John Disley, and Ian Wilson. And we played a lot together. We played a lot of shows. Yeah. And eventually John had a baby and things didn't work out with him because he had other priorities looking after the family and things and we had to kind of push forward. Yeah. And we couldn't do that at the time, which was a shame. Moving on from there, we then brought in uh, Jess's fella, Paddy Cummins. Um, and then the five of us were kind of like the unit for a good long time. Came towards end of last year and we played some pretty bloody good shows. We played Bloodstock the year after Reaper played Bloodstock. Yeah, yeah. So um, we went and did the new Blood stage. That went really well. We started throwing things around. Is this still as, as Equinox? This is still as Equinox, yeah. yeah. And then towards the end of Equinox, um, things didn't really work out with Jay because of things I won't get into because they're all rather personal. Past that, when that got dropped, then we brought in Mike McCarroll, who was a friend of mine from college. And he jumped in on a couple of projects of mine uh, that I had like on the side when I was working in college. And then we went to go and record a few of the singles. After that, we then renamed and rebranded ourselves as Ash and Reach. Okay. In the space of two months, we got ourselves onto Enzo Management. We then got ourselves the gig with Bullet for My Valentine in Russia, yeah. playing St. Petersburg and Moscow, which were two of the best gigs I've ever played in my life. They were unbelievable. Yeah. And then from there, creatively, I started seeing a few patterns in the band. We all started arguing a lot more. Well, do, let, things are moving pretty, pretty, pretty fast. Question, to do with yeah. it, uh, what you'll find is anybody that, that, that's friends with, with, with Dan is that you find that there's very much a trajectory, certainly with Equinox and then on to Ash Reach, where you just start to become, you know, doing lots of stuff. Yeah, you know, start tons getting, of work. But let's just pull that back to when you, you play. Um, so the first time you play Bloodstock is mm. with Reaper. Yes. So you win the battle of the bands yes. to do that, and then you go to, to so first things first like what was your thoughts of the, the battle of the bands then with Bloodstock did you think you had a chance I mean you must have because you entered it but was this like how many gigs have you played as Reaper when you when you went into oh. actual gigs <laughs> yeah that's that's an interesting story actually um, the first time we played Metal to the Masses we sucked hard really? we were woeful really? and then we played the first heat and we were just dreadful we didn't get through I got quite disappointed went home and then realised two weeks after I was like we came in there with no plan yeah. And it was a big wake-up call for me because I was like, we really, really need to get our stuff together. And then eventually when we reapplied, which wasn't the year after that, but the one after, uh, we then had a different bass player at the time, which was Kane yeah. Watson. Um, and he's a good lad. He's a, he was a really good bass player for us at the time. And um, when we started building up, we had a lot of clashes between the four of us. But eventually when we all started coming back together, across the course from like J January through to March and April, we didn't really speak very much because of a big clash, and at the time, the band looked like it was done. 
Yeah. And there was a time where we looked like we were split up and it was kind of more or less over. When we had a big conversation, we were like, no, we need to reform. We've got a genuine shot at this gig here. We need a lineup because Anthony and I. Were so this is the second on. time you come to play. This, this is the second, second time. time. Yeah, okay. this is the second time we come to play in 2017. Uh-huh. And um, Anthony and I at the time we didn't know what we were doing. Eventually, Pete and Kane came back. We get ourselves into a big call and we go, "Look, we need a lineup. We need to play a show in May because we're going to be doing Metal to the Masses this year." Are all four of us in? We all said I. I mean, right. We're getting into the practice room and rehearsing. So yeah, yeah. So it was about a half a year after our last gig. So Metal to the Masses, that Heath was the first gig we played in about six months. Wow. And we were just like, do you know what? There's going to be a crowd there. It'll be a great show to come back and play. We'll get a decent amount of people, sell some merch, do okay, and we can crack on with the album post. Let's see how it gets on and let's just see where we go to. Mm. We go in, we win the bloody thing. <laughs> we're like, oh, wow, okay, so we're in the final. Now, we, now we've got a genuine shot. Yeah. So we go over there to the first oh, so, time we were doing so it. So was, was it the same as the two heats with mm-hmm. that one? Yeah, first uh, heat and then final. Then the final, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the you fir- won the first, first heat and then you're on to the final and that gives you that moment of pause where you're like, hold on, we could actually... Yeah, we this. could actually do it. This okay. isn't just our comeback gig yeah, anymore yeah. for us to play and see There's how we get on. There's some more things at stake. We can play Bloodstock now, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? We need to get this together. So yeah. we spent about two times a week practicing over and over again and getting this set like airtight. Yeah. Come to play the final and we won. Yeah. Because we'd really pushed it and we were like, this is it. We yeah. can take ourselves. We can genuinely do it now. Okay. We go play Bloodstock and it was a blast. It was so what's hold on, I'm awesome. trying to keep the, the, the and everybody at home is probably trying to do so as well, trying to keep the amount of how many gigs did you play before you played Bloodstock then with Reaper? With Reaper? Um Honestly, as an amount from it's when we started the fitness, event, right? um, what in that what in that space of the year between no, just as Reaper from an entity, just as, as an actual oh, band, tons. Oh, yeah, okay. loads, loads and loads and loads of shows. It's just but this was the kind of like the, with the, 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 the sort of finish lineup of you. If oh you yeah, 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 yeah. This okay. like from from twenty eleven from when we started, we played tons of shows. Right. One of the shows we actually played for when Pete first entered the band. When we got some new material together and things, one of the first shows we played was with Blaze Bailey, right for Wolfsbane, yeah, yeah. which was a huge deal for us. Yeah, we played the show and we came out of there. You, you strike me, and I've said this before when we talk. You strike me as being like one of those guys that's fairly switched on with stuff as well, and doesn't just turn up, plays his instrument, and get drunk. It's just you know. So when you mm. go and you play with someone like Blaze, and certainly when you go to the metal to the masses. Are you kind of ears open and kind of looking and talking to people and kind of seeing how the, yeah. the, the, the machine works, if yep. you will? Absolutely. Now more than ever as well, because especially at the Blaze Show, that was the first big kind of eye-opener to... Uh, hmm. I won't name the venue, right? but the guy who ran it at the time was not very nice. Right. I didn't get on with him very well at all. He wouldn't okay. let us speak to any of the band members. Right. And they kind of went off into their own room. I'm not sure if that was at the choice of the band. Yeah. yeah Probably yeah. not because I've yeah. spoken to them on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And obviously Luke Appleton is in that band now and yeah. I've spoken to him. Luke's, Luke's a good guy. Luke's a yeah. boss. Yeah. Luke's would, so it, it, he cool. wouldn't be that guy that wouldn't. He yeah. absolutely he would, would absolutely not be that guy. guy. Yeah. So we were just like, we kind of got a bit of a bad vibe from him anyway. And then as the night went on, more things happened. I just kind of feel like, this guy's kind of a dick. <laughs> um, we, we didn't like the promoter for that show at all. So we didn't get much of a chance to speak to them. But the techs quite liked us. Right. And uh, they seemed cool. But unfortunately, because we were very restricted in what we could do at that show, we really couldn't do much. And that was the first kind of time when I was like, we really need to push harder if we're going to try and speak to people. So when we came to Bloodstock this year, we were like streamline organized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony and I 
the first time we played, which was um, the only time we played, sorry, uh, when we played in 2017 at Bloodstock, yeah. the thing we did was we just ran around the field handing people our CDs out with yeah. our logo, the date we pl- the day we were playing, the time we were playing, what stage, where to find us. Wow, okay. And we were like, right, fucking hell. here it is. I know you're going to get drunk later and forget this information, but take this goddamn CD yeah, we're playing. Yeah, yeah. Crowd was pouring out the tent. Yeah. Teresa, Teresa Smith from uh, Metaprism yeah. came and saw us at the set and she came up to us afterwards and went, I have never seen a New Blood stage band pull a crowd like that. Wow. It was colossal. It, just, what, what time did you play? I think we played at like 11 a.m. Yeah. And it was early, wow. man. We did, yeah. not, we did not play with a That's one of the things that <laughs> I, I talk about this a lot, especially when I talk to bands that played at the New Blood stage in Bloodstock, is that people forget if you haven't been to Bloodstock they have the main stage obviously and then if you're looking at the stage just to your left you've got maybe a hill it's probably not even that you can see the entrance and it's like a two minute walk to get mm-hmm. to the new blood stage yep. if you've got 10-15 minutes in between bands or there's a band on the main stage get it there. sucks you can walk there and go yep. and catch a, a new band two or three yep. of them before then, you, you need to go back mm-hmm. and it's not a big it's not like download it's not like where you've got this fucking long walk to yeah. get between stages yeah. it's not you've like that you've got a fucking voyage to make yourself yeah. stage it's, you can you can like I've, I put all the time when it goes to is I'll, I, the main stage is obviously the two, two that's what I want to see but nine times out of ten certainly on the early parts of the day the eleven o'clock to about well, sort of one o'clock everything mm. I'll just go to the new blood stage and go right just let's see let's see what the, the, the new stuff is coming through like so you've got a really big audience for your, your set yeah. the best bands I've ever the, ba- the best bands I saw in 2017 and 2018 at Bloodstock were from the Sophie stage and new blood stage yeah, 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 yeah. the best band I saw in 2017 was Endeavour if you yeah. haven't seen them, no, I've seen them. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking ridiculous. And and it's like you literally, you know, just you, you know, what's what's that? What's that tense cap? What do you reckon? I don't know. Maybe a thousand people. Maybe not. It's not even that. New, new Blood stage. Yeah, yeah. I'd say about a thousand. About a thousand. Yeah. yeah. About a thousand. And then the Sophie stage was about two. Yeah, I'd say maybe more. Yeah, but maybe but more. but it's still like you know, it's sound. You can go and watch a band. I can't remember yeah, watching yeah. Tense on Slope and being like standing on yeah, this is fucking ace. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And the sound in the Sophie stage. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Whoever that engineer is needs a needs a medal. He's just they've just got the crew. Well, I talked about to, to Simon all about this. The crew that they've got are just it's, everybody's a fan. Yeah, no yeah. one's phoning in. Everybody's like is a fan of the music, yeah, yeah. so they just like listen. Be it the Sophie, be it the new, but mm. whatever it is, everybody's like listen. It needs everybody needs to yeah. be good. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they are. So, so you were behind the scenes did you do press and stuff like that yep okay. I, but the thing is is at the time for Reaper um, when we were getting handled through emails and things like that I wasn't sure how to handle but like inboxing people and speaking to people through emails yeah. and we didn't really have a big EPK set up this is what I'm saying is like over the course of a few years I've very much learned like see we are we were not great yeah this is something that I always talk to bands about about kind of like you should be fucking good and it's the set should be tight that's a given by the way that's not what that's yeah. not oh, the, yeah, that's no. not the, 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 the finish line that's the start line yeah, you should yeah, be yeah. good but the other side of it is having like an EPK to those who are not listening I'm sure everybody knows what it is but that's an electronic press kit that's like something that's mm. a calling card that you send out to the press so they can go look this is what the band's about this is what they sound like 
This is kind mm-hmm. of reviews and whatever, whatever. Yeah. So they kind of yeah. Some bands don't even have that. Some bands have absolutely no presence. And yeah. it, when they when they're contacting like in a management or a press, they'll just be like, "Hi, my name's Mark from whatever band. Yeah. Yeah. Can we get an interview?" Yeah. And it's like, trust it's like, me, guys, you, you that's not, not how it no. works. Like yeah. it's, you've got to treat yourself like you are a finished article, like yeah, you are yeah. a completed project. Like, you yeah. need to make sure right, the thing like if you're gonna start a band, having a Facebook page and even an Instagram, right? That's nowhere near enough. It's a start. It's yeah, purely that the is, start. That's, that is a platform for you to get your information across. You need email templates to start sending off for labels, gigs, and reviews. You need an electronic press kit with the best recording that you've got on there. You need links to your videos. You need a decent YouTube channel. All of these things you can build from the ground up. And even if the YouTube channel you first build sucks, at least you have one. Yeah, right? Start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. start. Uh, yeah. This is another thing with Reaper. It's only really quite recently that we've started putting things towards our YouTube page and, and bring, bringing it yeah. back up. Learn from us, right? We've <laughs> sucked at this for like seven years. Yeah. Right? And it's only really now that we're actually starting to wise up, um, especially now that we've got a lineup that's taking itself seriously. I um, think the thing to take from this that is definitely that, you know, just start. I don't know yeah. how to set up a YouTube page. Okay, just start. It, it will be crap. It won't look as good as Metallica's yeah. one. It won't look as good as the yeah. as the uh, guy who's getting 1.6 million YouTube Have followers. you ever seen Foo Fighters' first music video? is garbage. Yeah. It's them playing on a green screen with a rainbow background. It looks like... It looks like the B-side footage from Woodstock. But the point is, start and then start like you do a band. You don't go, okay, well, we're not, we've not got twelve songs and six albums and, and the thing. Start, just start that YouTube page. Start it off and, and learn how to do it, and you'll get better. It's not going to get worse. It's only going to get better. And learn mm-hmm. how to use it, how to put stuff on yeah. watermarks, how to do this type of stuff. Learn how to do it, like you know. I, f- I forget the name of the person that, that talked about it, uh, but I remember someone akinning when we were building the skill. It's like turning on a faucet that hasn't been. T- that hasn't been turned on before yeah. first time you turn it on it's just going to run with dirty water the entire time you've got to let it run for a little while right. and every now and again you'll get a nice clear stream yeah. and that's like that's yeah. when you start that's when it starts like cleaning itself out yeah. every now and again you'll get a bit of rust and get a little bit of things like that but eventually you'll get a cleaner stream yeah. it's exactly the same thing when you're building up any skill you're not going to pick up the guitar and be able to have the skills of a god in 10 weeks anyone who tells you that is lying well that's the, that's an interesting segue to talk to something you just want to sidebar for a sec so you teach guitar now mm-hmm. yeah I do so um, would you say you have a style or do you just are you are we talking do you just do whatever style if they, t- they say someone's coming and learn this they can learn that or would you say you have a style that, you, that people would look you up before I want to look for the best guy that does metal I would pick this guy the best guy for blues or do, are you, do you have a, a genre or do you do pretty much just at the whole thing I'll teach more or less anything in terms of genre but regarding like how I teach I start with a very basic baseline and I start this off for kids who are 6 and I've, I've got a student who's 52, 53 I think right. and I've equally got a student I've equally got multiple students who are between the ages of 6 and 10 yeah. I start them off the exact same way because age is not a factor yeah. right? people well, that we, we were just talking to Neil yeah. before Neil from, from Kelly's about and he was talking about uh, online about how people get told, oh, well, you can't, you shouldn't learn an instrument now because you've got to spend years learning. Like, so if you're over, I don't know, 40, don't bother learning an instrument because you're never going to be as good as the, awful the crazy kid on the YouTube yeah, thing. What an awful, awful advice. thing to say to someone, you know. No, are you kidding me? Because the, the, the thing with the thing about a, a guitar or any instrument is the battle isn't with you versus everybody else. The battle is you versus the instruments. Yeah, and it's that yeah, relationship. Yeah. It's like you've got to improve yourself. You know, you, mm. you, you, that's the that's always been the biggest thing for me. Is like when I play, 
I'm trying to improve my playing to what I want it to be. Yeah, um, sure. You know, and that, I imagine that it goes for any musical instrument that you have. Mm. And the sense of achievement of learning something is immense. It, yeah. But if you, you comparison is, is the death of contentment. Like, you know, it's like you, if you if you compare yourself every single time, if you're starting off guitar and you learn, you, you know, uh, four or five basic chords and then you go online and see some guy doing like five finger tapping or whatever the hell it is, you're never going to be happy because <laughs> that's know, not going to, you know, you have to meet it out. I tell kids about this all the time. I, I was at wars with Anthony as a guitar player whenever yeah. I was playing with him because I was so competitive. Yeah. And uh, eventually it got to the point where like I had to get sat down by Pete and Hans and they were like, listen, you're being a real dick about this. this yeah, because you're really, approaching it like it's a fucking it's, it's sport. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's not, not, this isn't a fight, it's like it, you're in the same goddamn band. It's an artistic yeah, endeavor. Yeah. And then eventually, like, I actually wrote a tune which is going to end up on the second album about that, it's about yeah. this competitiveness, and it's like, dude, no one cares how good you are compared to someone else. I don't like Jingley Malmsteen, yeah. I think he sucks. Yeah. Right? I'm like by I am correct and incorrect in that regard because yeah. I know I'm not a fan of him. Yeah. But I also know that technically the man's shit hot. Yeah, he's you, fantastic. You can't deny so something some yeah, yeah, ta- tactically sure. talented. But if it's yeah. not for you, it's not for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is any person that looks at you and looks at you for how you're playing as a guitarist, they will have their minds made up about you within the first 10, 15 seconds as a guitarist. If they're going to judge you by comparison to anyone else, yeah. they're not the people you're targeting yourself towards. Because if you do you're gonna fail you yeah. aren't gonna get anywhere the way you want to bring people over is going I don't give a shit about anyone else's guitar playing I could not care less if I tried I'm here doing my thing and this is what I play and you know the thing is every of every single one of the greats has been built like that why does everyone say that Jimi Hendrix is one of the best guitar players of all times because he's the first guy that approached the instrument and went you know what screw you guys I'm gonna do Just my gonna thing take some, yeah. guy played an upside down right handed guitar yeah. Just because he could. Cause, I mean, he yeah. was left-handed, yeah, for sure. But, like... You think, like, yeah... The man played, like, we're, technically incorrect. Those of you listening now that, that, that don't like guitar will probably need to skip a little bit because we're just going to wax lyrical back to us. We're both guitar yeah, players. And, and <laughs> Hendrix is a really interesting example because you can hear where he got stuff from. So you can mm-hmm. hear Curtis Mayfield, you can hear the octave stuff, you can hear that sort of chordal playing, that Wes Montgomery stuff, you can hear that there. You can definitely hear where he gets stuff. You can hear the British blues stuff come through. You mm-hmm. can hear where he pulled from it. But then, where the fuck was he getting some stuff? You Like the effect stuff? Th- yeah. That's him experimenting. That's him yeah. going, right, okay, I'm going to sit here now with this war and I'm going to go and try mm. and do this with it. I'm going to sit here now with uh, with this particular effect or I'm going to, like the studio he used as an ex- extension to guitar. You know, yes, he did start in a place that you could you know, say, well, hey, that's where he got some of these parts from. But ultimately took it, you know, that's, isn't that the point, isn't that? You take some of the things you enjoy and then you start going, okay, let's let's go and do this now. Damn right, let's, yeah. Let's go and move to this. Mm-hmm. So what did what does playing, uh, being a teacher, guitar teacher, what does that change about how you approach the instruments as well then? Um, do you know what? The really interesting thing is, tons of the younger students in particular, right, whenever they're playing, because they don't know anything about how to tackle the instrument, they'll hammer it in the way that they think is the most efficient the way that their heads go right that's probably the best way to put that but they've never done it before so they'll approach the instrument completely differently than a guy who's been playing it for 10 years because you've set a a set of conventions for yourself yeah so because you've done that you already kind of know the rules and the guidelines so it's very easy to stick to those whereas these kids they don't know anything about it so i've seen about 15 16 different chord voices for any of these basic chords 
I've seen them getting held by completely different kids. And I learn from them that it's like there are so many different ways that you can kind of handle. Yeah, it's talk, you talk about Hendrix and he's got that huge thumb that Hendrix had, like the, yeah. you know, he kind of did used it to do the baselines and stuff, which yeah. wasn't at the time a real sort of you know a lot of the sort of classically trained bit of people might have frowned upon that, like. But he, yeah, you know, you know, it's interesting to tell that like uh, that you say that that there's no because of the lack of rules that they've even cared that sometimes it's give them. You know, like look like Toshi Abashin or something like that. He's rule almost ruleless. He's gone a completely different direction to conventional, yeah. you know, ways of voicing chords and stuff. Someone like Polini, they will take really interesting chord ways mm-hmm. and just experiment with yeah. them. You know, uh, and I think that that's where I think because that is another thing. People always have this. Oh, there's no new guitar players coming up. There's no one doing anything interesting with the instruments. Fucking hell. Are you crazy? You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, okay, well, we haven't got Hendrix again. We haven't got someone doing that level of kind of like invention again. But there's still invention going yeah, on. and there absolutely is. And that's, like, what, that's why I love Alex Lyson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so Alex Lyson comes along, but he's doing a, another thing again. You know, he's taking mm. blues and stuff of that type of thing, but then really kind of pushing it. You know, him and Geddy, the stuff that they were doing in terms of like, you know, Changing stuff and counterpoint and all that type of stuff that came along. That was just, you know, hugely interesting. Like, you know. The thing that I've always loved about Alex Lifeson is the fact that he takes the whole rule of rhythm and meter and throws it out the window. Yeah. If any of you are listening and you want to get into Rush, go and listen. Or if you want to listen to a spectacular guitar solo, go and listen to La Vila Strangiata yeah, from yeah. the Hemispheres album. Yeah. And listen to the rhythmic um, devices that um, Alex Lyson uses in that solo and by listen to the rhythmic devices I mean notice that there aren't any yeah. it's just that he's just completely freeform and the thing that I love about that is that it builds an atmosphere in the world which I think more than ever now is lost yeah. in a lot of metal well, bands d- as well. Z- Zappa famously said that he didn't try and emulate the the guitar solos and the large sections that he played live. Instead, he was like, okay, here's where the start is, here's where the end is, but we're going to go on this journey together on this particular show. Mm-hmm. And this, this is unique to this particular moment right now, right on this show. Then we're going to sound like tomorrow night, then we're going to sound like the night before in, in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. It's never going to sound like that. It's going to be a particularly unique experience and he deliberately did that without a net and went and did that now yeah. don't get me wrong you some solos you want to hear note for note but the only way we move forward uh, you know, like zapper also said like uh, you know a uh, parachute is much like a mind it's only useful when it's open you know it's yeah. the you you have to kind of do that and, and lifeson was like the first guy that i heard that wasn't flailing when he went you know it's like because mm-hmm. a lot of people when they open up the guitar playing and do like six seven minute songs they, they flail but Alex yeah. had this real does and still does has this real sort of movement through changes and structures he's got a sense of direction yeah, there you go direction being yeah. the word you know and I think the big part of that I think the thing that makes Rush in particular such a, such a fascinating band in its early years and still a terrific band in its later um, is the fact that you've got this combination of Neil Peart's lyrics really taking you on a completely different plane of listening yeah, yeah. because he built worlds he told stories he was a poet and um, that's how he got in because the first Rush album that didn't have Pert on it the self-titled one the lyrics were written by Geddy mm-hmm. I think and I think so. and they were you know pretty standard rock lyrics then you go to Fly By Night listen to the lyrics they are not the same band in the yeah, slightest yeah. because they read his poetry and went, this guy's going to be a good lyricist. Mm. Then Neil Peart handled the lyrics from there on and that's how you ended up with songs like 2112. That's yeah. how you ended up with songs like Cygnus, 
you know, Cygnus X1. Yeah, yeah. That's how you ended up with songs like Farewell to Kings and Xanadu. He wasn't writing songs about, like, politics or anything like that. They definitely had undertones of it, but it wasn't... It wasn't apparent. Yeah. It was very much a flavour underneath everything. Yeah. So it's like... How, how do I describe it? It's like... It's not the actual dish that you're cooking. It's the spices and the ingredients. Yeah. That's the, those were the tones that you had. Yeah. But the actual thing he was building... I mean, Sickness X1 was like... You could definitely say that that was a comment on, like, left and right-wing ideologies. Songs about two gods coming down to earth and guiding humans away from forests and cities and trying to come together as a unit. But there's so many political undertones that go underneath it. When you have that combination of like this massive wide spectrum, side note, they are definitely the reason why I've become a better lyricist as well because yeah. of Neil Peart. When you build this world around it and when you put yourself into this atmosphere, the best thing you can do as a guitar player is lend to that. And yeah. Alex is perfect at it because whenever he's picking notes he's not sat there thinking oh what would sound really cool here what would be a nice note what kind of rhythmic devices do we need to use here and there it's like okay i'm gonna hit this guitar until it makes the sound that will make that sound better yeah, yeah. and then he goes where's it gonna go i don't know let's see yeah and that is a that for me that's a primo play, play, lead guitar player play for the song like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. but you don't play for yourself people argue that like like i said going back to that that people argue that um that nothing new is being created but then you only have to look it very. You don't have to look very far. I mean, I know you're a huge Devon fan, for example. Oh yeah. You know, and, <laughs> you know, look what he's doing from a progressive point of view. Jesus, you know yeah, what I mean? If you talk about without rules yeah, or without it, you know restriction. Oh, absolutely. Know? I th- I think the best thing now about guitar players is that people are focusing fo- like the really top notch players now are starting to focus more on arrangement than they are on like shreddy guitar parts. Yeah. And that for me is that's why Devon is like the champion songwriter right now for metal. Yeah. He is just he can take anything he can take a basic like verse, bridge, chorus so on and so forth song he can equally make Empath which is just oh my god what that album is a listen and a half man it's intense Um, but it's like you know and and you think like that's how old's that album man I'm thinking what Empath is like Six seven months. It's 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 pretty much very it's fairly new, yeah, isn't it? Like very new. And so there you go. Yeah. So you want to like wonder where new guitar playing and new progressive stuff comes. There's there's, there's tons of stuff out. There. There's tons of stuff out. Like I was listening to uh, 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 Yvette Yvette Young. I think she's called. She does this mm. kind of like tapping and kind of plucking finger style thing. And it's I've never seen it before. Yeah. It's producing these beautiful tones, and you're like. What yeah. and and when you talk, she's like does a lot of kind of like sort of workshops and stuff, and she's talking about listen. I just need to I needed to make this sound in my head, so I mm. had to pull the instrument to be this sound. You know? Yeah, yeah, and even in the acoustic world now, you'll see so many viral videos of so many more people learning how to do really interesting drift guitar stuff. Yeah. And me, I'm not learning that. There's not a goddamn chance. <laughs> I'm such yeah. a, are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm not a drummer. Yeah. I don't know how I do all this. But it's what? fascinating. I just because like that's that's what obviously gets leveled at modern music is the there's nothing new being created and it's just nonsense it's, it's, it's ridiculous it's, it's just nonsense if. so then you, you you come away from Bloodstock what did you take away from being at the big show like you know what did you take away from that when you sat down you're like okay the we big, need to be good yeah. players we'll work on that we need to be good but what else did you take from it the biggest lesson that I learned the first time I played Bloodstock is that there is so much of a world around the business stuff that I've become very daunting for people to start coming into as a new band Yeah. Uh, but equally it looks scarier than it is I mean I spoke to I think her name is Claire Harris lovely girl and she's one of the representatives from Nuclear Blast okay right I just went and had a chat with her hey, she's oh, yeah. sound yeah, yeah. right I handed her a CD and I didn't hear back 
Cool, no problem, that's fine. Yeah. Thing is, don't take stuff like that, like, to heart. Don't sit there with oh, yeah, a thick email. skill like this. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. back to me the, to the next day. You know, yeah, like, you're yeah. sitting there at the computer, giddy-eyed, waiting for it to come yeah, back. Yeah, it's yeah. like, dude, like, these people have jobs. Yeah, they yeah. probably just forgot or didn't really like it. Yeah, yeah. That's not a problem. Thing is, the, the number one thing that I took away from Bloodstock is that it's like, don't take things personally yeah. and do, like, just keep, just keep going. Yeah. Because Reaper, realistically... We got a good review from Marshall Times. We got named one of the top three New Blood acts on the stage that year. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I think for good reason. I think we played very well. Yeah. Um, equally, you know, we didn't get a great deal from that other than being a Bloodstock band. Yeah. You know, I'd say Equinox probably got a little bit more traction from the Bloodstock show they did than Reaper did for theirs. Right. And again, rightfully so, because while we were throwing a lot of our CDs around and getting a big crowd... That's not it. There's yeah. so much more you've got to do as a band to be professional and get yourself out there. Yeah. And I'll say it again, you know, learn, if anyone's listening and you just want to make a, like, a decent band, learn from my mistakes because, again, I sucked at the business side for this for about seven years. It's only now I'm really starting to get a bit more savvy with it all. So that, so that is kind of when, when, when did Equinox become Ashen Reach then? End of last year. Okay. We changed the name around about Christmas time. We played our last show as Equinox uh, doing a show with Twisted Illusion in Manchester mm. when they played their uh, Full Excite the Life album, the first part of it. Um, that was the last show we played as Equinox and then we moved on to Ash and Reach the year after. What, why why the move then? So what, what happens there? Because there were a shitload of shops and bands and all sorts Equinox of other things called Equinox. Yeah, it's yeah. a very, very generic name. So yeah. we were like... Ah, we really can't <laughs> stick with this. But I always said to them, it's like, well, listen, there's going to be so many things called Reaper and we're doing all right. There's so many things called Equinox and we've done well enough this far. Mm. If we're going to change our name, it better be good. Right. And then we ended up stumbling on Ash and Reach and we were like, yeah, that's a great name. That'll what, work what, I did standard question, what, what, what's Ash and Reach? Ash and Reach. Um, Jess and Paddy found the name through playing a game called Sea of Thieves and he found a place called the, the Ash and Reaches. Okay. And okay. he saw the thing called Ash and Reach and we were like, well, okay, what are the connotations of that? Because I'm a proper romantic. Yeah. I think if you're going to name your band you for a business know, reason, yeah. it should be that. But equally... It needs to be something that's going to make sense. You, you know someone's going to ask you about that. You better be damn sure you've yeah, got yeah. an like, yeah. And like for as much as, you know, there are plenty of bands, like for example, Deep Purple. He just went, we need a double barrel name. It needs to sound catchy. That's yeah, it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's fine. But for me personally, I want to be able to have something that's like, well, it fit the band's kind of criteria for songwriting Yeah, you're going to be able to talk evocatively about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to feel like when you say it on yeah. stage, you're going to erupt it to a crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not going to do that if you don't care about the name. And for me, I need to kind of have something a little bit more. Um, I need to have something that's got a little bit more of like an underlayer of right. something um, because again I'm a big romantic I'm a big artsy <laughs> fart so, so Ash, then, Ash, Ash and Reach yeah okay. yeah so we came to that and then um, Enzo picked them up so who are Enzo and what, what is a management company and what is that all Enzo management um, so did you we, play a show and they approached you did you approach them what happened they basically caught wind of it because I inboxed Rachel a good while ago and then she caught the messages after she'd heard our first single that we dropped which was Gone Tomorrow and she loved us and she was like yeah we'd love to have you on board okay. um, Rachel at the time was handling a lot of sending things off for labels sending things off for shows and reviews and all that stuff right. and then eventually she came up with the humdinger of the blood the blood for my Valentine show Okay. so we went and uh, we applied for it and much to our surprise we got it and we were like so did, wow. so did, what, did what did Enzo do for you did they kind of facilitate that or what was what they, was their role they did all the communication between um, themselves their bookers and, and, yeah, and they 
yeah. the hookers are side of it as well and yeah. they also sorted out a lot of the travel for us a lot of the arrangements they basically helped us find i think they also uh, helped us find um flight times and things like that but i think most of that came down to our did you have a, did you have a crew then did they sort you out with a crew was it just you it was or? just it was just us making our way around because where rachel was able to send a lot of the um back and forth and conversation between herself and any of the guys in bullet and any information that we needed for things like that uh, it was jess's father joe who did a lot of help for did a lot of work for us in design and photography and he's a terrific photographer as well very 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 good loads of local bands use him now uh, he, he helped us with the flights and things and helped us with uh, piecing parts together but I think Rachel also helped us piece together some visas and things okay. which, which was a big help Yeah. we get ourselves down there we play the show and it was absolutely unbelievable so where did you, so this was supporting Bullet for My Valentine um, so where were you on the bill how many was Bullet for My Valentine and then... just us and them wow okay. yeah, so yeah. you were main support main support for them yeah. wow okay and the people down in Russia ate us up they so where did you play in Russia then so St. Petersburg we played in the uh, A2 um, okay, yeah, yeah. And then there was Moscow, which was the Adrenaline Stadium. Yeah, which is huge. Yeah, eight thousand people. It's huge. And it just sold out. Yeah, yeah. That was it. So you yeah. go from, you know, as I always try and surmise, like you, you go from listening to Eric Clapton in the car, to just two minutes before you get the call that you're going out to play in front of eight thousand people to pull bullet for my Valentine. <laughs> yeah, it was there. Uh... What's What's the thoughts before you go out to that? Like, um. Apart from shit, do you know what? Do you know what? On the first time, I was completely neutral. Are you, and like, are you singing? You're just singing. Just, just vocals. Okay, so you've got no, that. not that you would, but you've got nothing to hide behind as well. There's no guitar to go. Okay, my voice is mm-hmm. a bit off. I'll, I'll make sure yeah. I nail it. You're singing. Yeah, and that's and that's all like that. Yeah, yeah. And the first time I heard it, I was just in a state of disbelief. I was yeah. like, I'm waiting for someone to tell me this isn't real. And then more and more things came through, more information came through, and they were like, Yeah, this is real. And, yeah. I, and, and my first thing was like, Stay neutral, because if you don't. You're going to stress yourself out before you get down to the show yeah. and then your voice is going to suck because yeah, yeah. Every- it's tension. And- yeah, 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 yeah. So I was like, I need to keep as calm as I can about this and just get it around. Jess was so excited and everyone seemed to be super excited to play the show as well. But I was like really neutral. And then I realized coming towards it when we were about to set off in the car, getting ourselves to Russia, I realized I'm not neutral. I am t- Terrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a lot of arguments between um, between ourselves. From that puts a band under an enormous amount of stress. It's it's the biggest pressure I've ever felt. Because it's everything from people don't realise that you know that nowadays when you travel as a band there is there's visas, there's checkpoints, there's carnets, there's there's an enormous amount of stuff that goes on. And for a young band, it can be almost overwhelming. Almost overwhelming. You know. Yeah. Um, bear bear in mind as well. We got this gig in February. The yeah. show was in April. We had two months to yeah. prep for this, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. One, two of us didn't have passports. Could you have got this show without management? Is management important? Do you need to have that? Do you need to have that some that booker? Yes and no. Work? It depends on what you're going for. I'd say for a band like Ashen, where and. And I give all the respect to the guys in Ashen at the moment, just so I can say, because you know, yeah. for for as much as for as much as things kind of went south with yeah. regards to me being in a position in the band, yeah. I genuinely do believe in the band. I think yeah. they're gonna do amazing things. Now that they've, I think they've finally got their lineup. Together. I think it's pretty much done now. Yeah, yeah. Which it looks like they're almost I'm so so happy yeah. they managed to piece that together. It's great news, and I yeah. wish them all the best. Um, when you have a band like that, where especially Jess, 
that like they want that now. They yeah. want to be in the position of bulletin as soon as yeah, they're extremely yeah, yeah. yeah, they want to push as hard as they can. Jess in particular, she is ferociously. You have to be. To it. What the yeah, fuck yeah. else could you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Not. You, you've got to have that drive to put it in there. And without her, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere near as far as we have now. Yeah. She she is a good like for, for the initial stages of it. I did piece a lot of it together, but from the moment. From the moment we were playing Bloodstock, Jess had like her foot on the pedal and yeah. straight to the floor. Um, so with a band like that, I think management can help. I think it should only help. But equally, I feel like if you're going to take your time a little bit more, it kind of depends on... It, it, I don't know, I can't really give a definitive, 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 definitive answer to, for that. Yeah, because what I always try to do, especially when I talk to a young, or trying to help younger bands and younger artists, is try and give them a route to go from da 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 yeah. And although it moves fairly quickly, it's very obvious the route that you you took, you know, and certainly you know, management and tour and that tenaciousness, I think, is the key thing that someone needs to take from this. Is that you you've just got to keep approaching people, keep talking to people, keep playing shows, yeah. keep you've just got to keep going. Like a lot of bands, maybe call it call it a day, just at the point when they're maybe going to break as well. Like yeah. you know, and um, so then you you go out, you do your shows, and what was what was fun for me was I got to see that in almost real time because you, you would post <laughs> yeah. stuff, you would send me messages, you would be like, I've just done this, this is it. We would yeah. talk and I would see everything from going to the show just a little bit before, mm-hmm. the show, people's photos in the crowds and after and then the day after mm-hmm. and they got to, and I kind of got to see that break. It was, it, was, it was fun. You know, I got to see kind of your things, you know, your, your head being blown apart after the first show and being like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do I ground myself and what do we do? And I thought it was fascinating. So then you do the, the, the second show and that's like 8,000 people. It's, did you did you liaise with any of Bullet? Like, you talk to any of them? Uh, we spoke to the drummer Jason a lot. He is yeah. the soundest dude. Like, I met him at St. I met him first. We met him first at St. Petersburg and he just came out to say hello to us. Like, he made an effort to come and say hey and I was like, dude, thanks so much for coming and saying hello. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a t- tremendous deal for us to be playing for you guys. Yeah. Now, the thing is, I never ever listened to Bullet before coming right. and playing for them. Just full disclosure. Yeah, right? that's okay. Yeah, because I, I don't feel like it's rude to say, like, I just never really listened to yeah, them. Yeah, just never got around uh, to that. Yeah, man. never got around to it. And then when Jason came out, I was like, oh, what's going on, man? I, it was nice. I felt like it was a good thing that I had You felt that you weren't a fan. I'm a guy working for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm a dude being main support for his band and making sure that the crowd's warmed up for when yeah. they go out and kill it, yeah. which they did because... Yeah. Holy shit. There you go. Yeah. I'm so old, right? One of my first reviewing gigs was with for them yeah and before they broke behind the blood and before they broke and they were literally in the same vein that you guys were we're like we're just discovering what the fuck is going on here it you know was I mean? the tightest live show i think i've possibly yeah, ever fantastic. seen it was yeah. Was is just he's an incredible player yeah he's an incredible player i've had the chance to see that up close and he's fucking phenomenal he's just my he's god it's, it was it was scary yeah, yeah. i was like Thank God. <laughs> Thank God we have two shows with these guys. Yeah, but, um, yeah Jason's just a lovely, lovely guy. Yeah. Uh, I think I briefly met their other guitar player as well, but I didn't get the chance to speak to him very much. And the other guys, I think Matt was sick. Matt right. didn't feel so hot. On the last show, we were meant to be seeing them, but the security weren't cool with us heading up and saying, hey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the guys waited for them. But we had said on Instagram, because we had such a good response from the first show that fans wanted to meet us like wow. fans of the show from Russia wanted to meet us at the merch table to come yeah, and say hey yeah. and get signatures and things and Mike and I were like well I know Jess and Paddy are big Bullet fans and I know Ian wants to meet the guitar players because he was wowed by them yeah. um, but me and Mike were like well 
for as amazing as they were, we've got people waiting for us downstairs and we don't want them to be sitting around. So we're like, well, listen, you guys stay here and go and see if you can get contact, speak to Matt, speak to everyone, say, hey, me and Mike are going to go downstairs and see everyone. Yeah, yeah. So we make sure that there are at least people on both bases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I remember in particular for... It's weird saying this story now that it's being recorded, but I might as well. I think I've told a few people about it now. I remember playing the final song, Homecoming, and I remember being on the stage at the Adrenaline Stadium. And prior to this, prior to Russia, I did have a strong feeling that I was going to be making tracks and leaving the band at some point. Why? Because of the creative differences that we were having, I think um, I put it on a big Facebook status to summarize without going on too much because I know I have a tendency to do that. I feel like in a band, you are only as good as the moving parts that create it. So each individual person needs to be as driven behind the creative idea more than anything. Because it's like, I feel like a business model is all well and good unless your product's not very good. Or unless unless there's people on your team or board that are working towards making that product and they don't believe in it. So, I mean, you know, if Cadbury's built up an entire factory and then they had a few people work and then they were like, oh, what do we want to make? And then, oh, I don't know, we've just got all this stuff here. Okay. And then they eventually decided on making chocolate and yeah. three of, three out of ten of the guys were like, eh, I'm not really sure that's going to be a good thing for us to do. Right. I don't think those three guys should be there right. because they're not going to contribute to a healthy work environment and they're also not going to make the best product that they can right. make. I feel like I could do that with Ashen because I feel like the direction and trajectory that they were going in wasn't something that I could put my name to honestly. I feel like for a band that's as hard working and as dedicated as them, I feel like that would be I feel like that would be rude of me to stay. I feel yes. like it would have been wrong for me to have put my name to something that I don't think I could back. So yeah, so you go you you make you basically you get a you get a vision of what top of the mountain stuff is. You, know, you go and play in shows with eight thousand people. Mm-hmm. Did you get a did, did, what were the people around you like? Did, did, did some people change? Did some people get like, because you, when you put on there, I noticed a lot of people who never normally comment on your stuff and never normally talk about you were suddenly like, hey, you know, yeah. what's going on? Did you get a lot of that? I found when I started to, to be successful in various things that some people came up and were like, I'm really glad that no, not oh. many people changed. And this is oh, that's good then. This, the best thing for me about this whole thing and the thing that made me feel so content with the not just the friend group that i have but with the network of musicians that i know is the fact that those people came and spoke to me i knew they were friends from beforehand i think i remember it was ian frazier from footprints in the custard as well i think a couple of other pals of mine and uh... yeah so it's you go from you you go from kind of seeing the the top of the mountain as you've said and kind of talk about like the fortune the people around stayed relatively normal it didn't mm-hmm. go crazy to get people coming out of the woodwork and doing stuff like that mm-hmm. but then and this is probably the thing that's going to seem most unbelievable to some people you go from that some people would argue and i'll to play devil's advocate some mm-hmm. people argue that you did that that you should have just tried to figure it out and you should have stayed with them you should have mm-hmm. tried to figure it out because it's successful now i understand why you didn't yeah but do you understand why people maybe have been like what the oh, fuck hell, are you oh doing? hell yeah absolutely i had so many i had so many people behind me going why because yeah. these guys are going to take off and it's like well yeah but they're not going to take off well enough if they that's it not that's just their vocalist but their frontman isn't that's fully that's, behind inc- it. that's an incredibly mature decision if it's, i may say you know I, you. Well, because what it is because you know you take from you are being successful you, know, you lord knows what you could have done after that it had things not changing you know what else you could have done mm. to go 
creatively, I'm not happy there. I do that. That's that's a fucking set of stones. It's, to do be- that. it's because I mean the thing is, I saw it as two ways. Either I could mm. stay in that band, and I don't think truly that I'd be able to push it in the direction that I feel like they could take it to. And we could make ourselves around, and we could eventually make a decent deal out of it. Yeah, I could go up and be in that band. But you'd be unhappy. Be, yeah, I'd not only just wow. be unhappy, especially. I mean, I've always said. If you've got the option between being able to like pay the bills and get yourself around and live in a house that's like good enough and play the job of your dreams versus making mega bucks and doing something that you don't care about or don't enjoy, pick option one because at least then 80% of your life that you're spending working, you're going to be happy. Wow. And the thing is, you can make as much money as you want, dude. I've seen plenty so when of did people you, make money not well, happy. Did, when did you just, did, you said you were, on, you were on the way there and you thought that maybe mm. you were unhappy and then you play the show and... It's great, and there's all the euphoria of playing a great show. Stay, like I said to you, when I message you, we'll stay with you for the rest of your life. But then you're driving back, and you're thinking... It wasn't even driving back. Wow. It was before that. The big thing for me was when we were playing the last song in Russia and Moscow. Jesus we Christ. Were, I walked off to the side because there was an instrumental section, and right. then Paddy was playing a solo. So you're to the side watching the, the side watching. So that Paddy can remove. kind of take it in the line. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I can't think yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. His solo and homecoming's insane. Yeah, great Pat, player. Paddy's just such a good guy. But you you always you removed from it, watching the band almost I, as a fan. And you I like, sat on the side and watched them and, and looked at them and went, I'm not on that stage, and I know that if I didn't even walk back on and some other guy went on or some other girl, not just it wouldn't make a difference, I'd look at that and be like, they do fine. Okay. They'd be okay. Wow. And I was like, if they're going to be okay, and I know me not being on there, it looked right me okay. not being there I'm as soon as I saw the mic was empty I was like that position needs filling and I'm not the guy I'm for it fella. I'm just not oh. the guy it was really so did emotional you, I mean fucking hell how'd you drop that on a band where it just comes off stage playing to that many people with a great chat great show great everything yeah. did you did you come off stage were you in the green room and go listen I, no 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 god no I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't have done that to the man. Because that's no, how, no, it's tough. you got to say it, but yeah. when the fuck do you say it? You know? I, I came off and I was in tears. I was yeah. like, I imagine that's the last big show. Yeah. That's almost definitely the last big show I'll play with them. Yeah. So I came off, we went home, and then I sat them down about a couple of weeks afterwards because I didn't want to say it to them. Yeah, you, it's a dick like move that. to do that. Because yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you don't want to connect the two memories. And then the rest of Russia, the rest of the trip was just so much fun man and we yeah. just had a great time and I was with my friends yeah. having a good time we get ourselves back and we sit down and go listen I need to bring this up with you so we bring it up and they go listen we've got two more Liverpool shows play them and see how you feel okay. let's try and get through this stick it out till June and if you're still feeling the same way make let's, your tracks good, yeah. and I felt the same way okay. after playing the Liverpool show and I was like if bullet if playing for bullet for 8,000 people isn't going to change my mind man then it's nothing fair enough like yeah yeah you know so I was like, that's kind of it. And I feel like if I stayed in that band anymore, I'd be lying to them. And I'm not a liar. I'm yeah. a shitty liar. I, yeah. I, you know, I just don't want to be that guy. You think they know that? Yeah, I hope so. Do I really do hope so. I think they know if they listen to this, they'll, they'll know your sincerity beyond. Yeah, I think I, I, the, thing, the, thing, the hardest thing for me was like, God, I really hope that I can stand that I'm still cool with them. Because yeah. know, I've been mates with Jess now for years. She, she was like a little sister to me. Yeah. You know, and Paddy, we, we got so close over the time of him being in that band. And obviously, Mike's a, still a good friend. I know that we're on good terms. And I know things are going to be sour for a while. And I respect that. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's, we've talked since. And we've been mature about it. Yeah. But I just I just hope there can be a point where I can just go and hang out with them again. Because they're good, they're, they're they're good guys. And I think they'll see that. hard working, man. Yeah, they I really think... put the pedal to the 
I think they will, they, they will see that. And I think a lot of people listen to this now who maybe didn't understand and were like, why the fuck does he walk away from, from that? Probably have a little bit more insight. And I hope mm-hmm. some of will see that there's a lesson there that you should do the stuff that you've enjoyed. Because trust me, I've seen musicians yeah. who have painted themselves into a corner where their only means of income and early life is, is something they desperately don't enjoy doing. Look at Ailstone. The singer's outwardly said on social media on multiple occasions that he really does not... like He's, he's not really bothered, but he brings the money into the bills. Yeah. I don't want to be that. I don't yeah. want to do that at all. I mean, you know, God bless the guy. He's a, he's a great front man. He has a lot of fun. And there's the band, for as much as it's not like the most like creatively... Yeah, six like not the most creatively sound band on earth. Yeah, yeah. they're great fun to watch. I've seen yeah, them live. Yeah, they do that. Depends what they do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think people will, will probably come away with this and go, you know, I, I understand a little bit more. But then, and here's the thing. So we you, you finish up with that, and then surely that means that it's like anybody. It's like so when someone does a really big film, director makes a really big film, and then they go, okay, what's the next thing? You yeah. must have had that moment where you're like. I've walked away from this. I've closed that door. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a thing now. They're doing that. And I've now got to do my own thing. Was there a moment where you were like, fucking hell, you know, the next thing I'm going to do, if it's Reaper, if it's whatever it is, needs to be fucking good. Because I give up that for this. I am in that state every single day. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had a phone call. It's scary, after, dude. After, after you, you left, we had a, a long phone call where we talked about it. and you, and, and I was like, you know, you know, I'd hundred percent think it's the right decision for what you were telling me, and you were like, "But it, there is like a there's a, a, there's a nagging, there's a nagging fear of like did it do the right thing from something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always gonna think, that. of course, you'd, you'd, you'd be an idiot to say you'd be and an idiot or a liar to say. Is it right to say then that you just went okay? I'm gonna pour myself into Reaper yeah. now. Because it does seem to be a very much a, t- a turning up of things from a merge, from an everything. Oh, hell yeah. Just everything just seems to move up. Now know? that that's the only project that I've got to focus on, and there's plenty I can talk about for Reaper that's happened. Yeah. Some really crazy shit's been going on lately for yeah. us. Uh, and, um, so, so with, so with Reaper, so then what was... what a, what a st- I, I painted it as, as very much as a, as a film-like situation. Mm. So the the first show proper, I think, with Reaper was the Metal to the Masters. Was it? Was that one of the first shows after you? When we got the new lineup with, which is now Anthony Longworth, Elliot Kuriakides, both on drums and bass respectively, and then obviously me and Ant being yeah. the guitar and uh, vocalist respectively. Um, when we we played a few shows before that with yeah. with the guys as well, we played. Um, we did a big um, celebration of Birth of Chaos, yeah. uh, the first album. We played the whole thing back to back in December and that was a great show we brought yeah. about 70 people it was, like, yeah. it was, and in the Zanzibar as well like that's a small yeah, that's yeah. not that's the biggest nice. venue yeah. and it was a really nice collection of people that have been supporting us over the years yeah. it was awesome dude it yeah. went down a storm but the first show that we played as like since I left Ashen yeah, yeah. that was the first show so because I, I was I was painting this picture because I was comparing metal to the masses and obviously I was like you know huge Mm-hmm. fan of what you were doing and we were like yeah, I was like you know, talking before to her. and I, I put it across in the, in the podcast where I talk about the, the actual event itself but what an um, what a crazy crazy night that was that was interesting for someone to go okay well he's, he's, he's put Ash and Reach to the side you know turned away that thing there and now he's doing Reaper and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's in the the, the metal to the masses as well so there's people there who know what they're talking about there's a big group of people there it isn't for as you know a chance to play metal to the masses it was just as a, as a co-headline it was, yeah it was a guest um, but a still there, there, was, you know, there was that and I, and, I, and I felt like you know like watching his son going out there and I was like I was like <laughs> I, was, I remember being at the front I was like this is going to be fucking belter 
and it's, it, it, it was it, it, there was this Every bit of a passing like, minute of technical difficulty yeah and I was like itch. and I was like it was the most uncomfortable thing I think I've ever experienced and I was just like my boy's up there and he's and it's not going well yeah. and it, and it, he's, he's drowning and it goes like two minutes over five minutes over ten, ten minutes, minutes over over and I'm like Am I the guy that's going to have to pull this round as well? Do I have to get on and tell me boy that we'll call it? And you know, I was standing thinking, what the fuck? And and I was like, shit. And then a wonderful thing happened. And I covered this in the in, in the other show, but a wonderful thing happened where you just started playing. And oh, I don't know why, but all the technical things, all the things disappeared. Yeah. Everything just like like a switch, like did did did, and everybody just started getting onto it and being yeah. enjoyed. And I was like. Has this just gone from the jaws of defeat to absolute victory? It's probably the yeah. best set of the night. I had 20 minutes of being so unbelievably furious that I was like, I'm going to punch this guitar until someone and just, screams. And, and, and I remember you, we, so you played the set and everybody was, it was virtually universal you know, praise. was just like, that was incredible. Was, I mean, you all came off. And I remember rushing to get back to, to get to see because I knew how you'd feel. And I was like, I can't let him, I yeah. can't let him get away. <laughs> I had to pull you to one yeah. side. I was like, you just need to know that that was the best, probably the best set tonight. I think it probably was. Yeah. He was like, that was the best set tonight. You need to know that don't fucking let the technical hang-ups and the little minutiae, what do you do? It actually yeah. came good in the end that people would leave with a good impression. I think he sold out to Mavs that night or something. More or less. Yeah, yeah. Just, oh my God, so many people bought everything. Like, yeah, we yeah, ran yeah. out of all of our limited edition logo shit. They yeah. went. They yeah. are now gone. Yeah. We, sold a, we sold a good few CDs made some decent money and then obviously the new design that yeah. uh, our mate Barnaby and Crossfade Graphics did for us unbelievable artist and he made the uh, Anubis design for us loads of them sold more than half of our merch gone in one night and we had 50 shirts they're gone yeah 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 and Brilliant. it just went so 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 well so um, then so the, yeah. see that was for me I can remember saying like on the night and, and the preceding days thereafter I was like it was like you need to understand that, that was you, you probably won a lot of people over so then we we had a longer conversation about kind of what your next steps were and what you thought you were going to do. What mm-hmm. so what is the next thing for the, this band that you're in now? Oh, yes. is, there, is there no other projects? Is this the only thing now? For now, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I'm building up a couple of other things for solo things, but Reaper right now is a main focus project. That is the only thing I'm doing. So plan of attack so far is July. We've been getting ourselves back up on our social media, basically doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff and finishing up the writing for album two, which is genuinely nearly done okay so we're hoping to kind of turn around album two around about march time okay. but we're not going to give a definite date march is not definite yeah, yeah. because the last time we gave definite dates, <laughs> our album got pushed back by about two years yeah, yeah, we had yeah. to switch engineer yeah. three times sure so i'm not going to give any definite dates because i don't think it's good to do that i don't think we want to hinder the project like that yeah. but the plan is get everything all our socials and things like that up to date sort out we've just done a photo shoot with our mate heather we're going to be putting that together very soon and um, then in august when we come back, we've got a show in the Alma Inn in Bolton. And then over so the what Bol- a great venue the Alma Inn is. I've never way. played it. Never. Oh, well, I'm okay. really excited. The Alma Inn is, I can't tell you how great a little venue this is. It's it's the weirdest lay- layout mm. in the world. Um, it's almost like you're playing in the dock in a court. I mean, since, I don't know if it's changed since I've been there last, but it's ju- it's one of those places where people go mm. to just watch a, to watch metal. Good. And they're like, they're like, listen, I'm not going to see this band or that band. I'm going because I'm going to give you your set and I'm gonna clap if you're good and I'm not if you can if you're not and it, so you'll get you will get a you will get a what am I saying you get a captive audience good good good, good stuff good stuff um, we're main supporter Obsidian as well okay. and um, I'm stoked to see them they're really great. excited to see them 
Um, after that, then in September, I'm going to be doing an acoustic tour with my so this, this is really, this is fascinating. This is so. What is the is the mm. acoustic tour kind of part of Reaper? Is it separate things? Separate thing. Okay, so I'm, I'm really interested in that as well. So why? Uh, with, <laughs> the, yeah, it's why why the acoustic tour then? You why, why Matt, Matt Jones asked me. Sounded like it was going to be a lot of fun, and my acoustic EP Baron came out, and people seemed to really I thought like it. it. I thought it was really kept, totally left field with me. If I'm honest with you, totally. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of this, the yeah misstep. That was like I was like I did not expect this, mm-hmm. you know, and and it takes a bit of listening. If I'm honest with you, but yeah. it's there's something quite quite interesting there. You know, I totally removed from what you've done yeah 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 that must it's, have been like a complete palate cleanser to do that to go and go okay. that, that's why I was doing it yeah yeah. it's because I was writing that at the time when Ash and Reese was at its peak stress and while Reaper were kind it's of, sort of yeah it's, it's, it's dark it's, well, it's, it's dark's yeah. probably not the right word dark because it, 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 it's, it's hopeful it's yeah it's it's a bit it's fraught it's, it's mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah a friend of mine described it as I've never heard anyone capture anxiety so well in four songs there's an anxiousness to it like it's yeah, really, yeah the whole album well what's eventually going to make up the acoustic album which me and Stu Barker from Scare Tactics are going to be working on Stu's insane (laughs) we've got a bunch of other things that we're going to be working on together as well which I've been writing so what's the setup then is it you both playing what what are you I'm writing the the guitar and bass parts Uh uh, for the album I'm eventually going to be getting a full lineup at some point next year for the whole album Uh, but me and Stu are kind of piecing the parts together he helped me with another thing called Catharsis which we might get onto later if you you want to talk about that which is cool Um, but me and Stu we jam a lot and obviously with me having depth for scare tactics him helping me with some college projects yeah. uh, the whole point of the album which is going to be the full acoustic album is those first four songs are kind of like an exhibition of what will end up being on it yeah. um, which is why I self-engineered it and made it cheap because I don't want people paying 10 quid for an album four songs incredibly, good sound, super though. happy with it yeah, really yeah, yeah. happy with it actually and then um, the full album is supposed to be displays of dynamic tension so um, my girlfriend Alex was talking to me about oh, this uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The colours, yeah. She was. Uh, she went to see Brian Cox, and he had this segment where he was staring this cup of coffee, and he was like, "We're going to talk about maximum and minimum chaos." So while this cup of coffee is completely still, unmoving, completely untouched, yeah. this is in its minimum state of chaos. And then he started staring at it, and it's like, "This is when there's like the least amount of disruption." And when he stares, it's like, "This is when obviously there's more disruption, more disruption, most amount of disruption." And then when it gets to the point of maximum chaos. That's when there is also minimum disruption. Right. So on either end of the spectrum, when you're in total chaos or nil chaos, there's this kind of zen moment in between it. Yeah. That's the whole album's concept. It's oh, moving yeah. between places of tension. <laughs> well, anybody sitting there listening and putting their album together now, how good a de- description is your album going to be? <laughs> is it going to be as good as, as minimum or maximum yeah. chaos? Yeah, that's, that's effectively <laughs> what it is. So yeah, the yeah, album yeah. kind of starts, uh, I think I've got the peak and waves for it so far, but that right. last song on the EP, uh, for, uh, Felicity, yeah. that's maximum chaos. So when right. everything is happening at once, you realise that you're about to exhale. Right. So I've, I've split it up into two sides. So side A is kind of like the inhale, which is when everything's starting to get more and more tense. And then there's the exhale, when things start to relax, when you're starting to kind of breathe away all of that tension and push it out. Mm. And that album will then lead into my second disc, which I'll talk to about in a sec. But yeah, yeah a lot of the songs in the EP, uh, they're kind of like the inhale part of right. the album. There's more parts to that as well in a lot of other songs. Um for side B that I, I haven't sh- I don't think I've shown anything from side B yet which is intentional yeah. um, so the first part is like that inhale bringing in all of that tension and it's about uh, the first song is about Silent Hill again okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Time, uh, in my restless dreams then there is Trespasser which is just about a song uh, a song about um, 
two serial killers, one of them's hitchhiking, the other one's trying to tell him about all of these things that he's done to intimidate him, and he's not intimidated, and then the guy who's hitchhiking kills the guy who's taking him, right. and he leaves him in the bay. And then the third song, Crawl Away, is a lot about some other people, which I won't name, that have kind of given a lot of grief to me. And it's basically just about people who kind of watch from, like, the outside in and try and, like, creep their way in to kind of disrupt things and screw around just because they're bored. And it's kind of like, you know, these people who think that they're gracefully sneaking into other people's lives and they're just like, you're so obvious, it's cliche, get out of my way. That's what Crawl Away is about. So then Felicity is peak tension. And then after that from Side B, which I haven't showed anything of, is when it starts to release. That, I'm going to hopefully start recording in January. But I, as I was piecing that together, Matt Jones approached me and he was like, you're really good at the acoustic So who's, who's Matt Jones for those the people that don't know? Lead singer and guitarist of Twisted Illusion. Yes. And they are incredible. One of the yeah. best local bands I've seen. Um, Matt's voice is just insane. Yeah. He's a phenomenal singer. And he asked me to do an acoustic tour with him, and he also asked me to feature on his second Excite the Light album, which is... So is it is it Twisted Illusion songs? Is it his own songs? His, it, kind, of, kind of bits of everything. Some okay. covers, some Twisted Illusion material, some other bits and bobs. And the same for me. It's going to be kind of compartmentalised of songs that um, I'm going to be playing from Reaper, some of the old, uh, maybe some of the old Equinox and National Reach tunes. If I'm cool to do those, I'll obviously seek permissions yeah, for yeah. that. And then, obviously, some of my own stuff from Baron and then future material. An eclectic amount of basically so, any So, one of the thought. things that you need, if anybody takes anything from this from this podcast, is that um, Dan does the, does the thing that I advise everybody to do with the life. And he pivots all the time. He's got a million things going on, a million different sorts of projects. And he pivots to the one that, that keeps him the most sane and the most happy. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly moving. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons you've been certainly been happier and certainly been more successful you, you really are doing the stuff that you love and nothing else it's so much fun man like it really is and on top of that as well it's like I've got a really good support unit especially with Reaper yeah. um, and obviously with my girlfriend Alex who's just a just a rock man yeah. she's boss Anthony really described her well when we were on a night out once and he was like mate your girlfriend walks like a gangster she's just <laughs> brilliant behind every yeah. great man yeah. Like, yeah. she's so she's, she's boss she's, I've not met a person that hasn't gotten on with her she's, yeah, she's yeah. great and obviously my folks are great all the people that I've met through the music scene are really sound and a lot Dan, of these are genuinely supportive Dan, and that's the other thing that you need to, uh, need to take from this is Dan is incredibly positive um, he, he's not one of those guys to you know, kind of, this person's that, that doesn't really engage in any of that, doesn't really kind of, if he doesn't like your band, he's probably, he just doesn't talk about your band, if he does like something though, he's fiercely, you know, do, you know, puts it across, and I think that's another thing that enables people to be a little bit happier in this industry, is to not do that, it's to, like, I never do it on this podcast, I never talk shit, I never attack someone, because it's pointless, if I don't like something, I do the worst thing to them that you can possibly do, and that's do nothing, I don't mention them, I don't talk about them, if you don't like something, if you don't talk about it, it will it will eventually die if a lot of people feel the same way. Apathy is the most polite insult you can possibly Yeah, say, yeah, right? exactly. So, you know, t- uh, whereas I'd, I'd much rather talk, especially at a podcast level with someone like yourself, about the positive things that you can do as a musician to, to move forward and, you know, kind of get what you wanted to get and be happier. And I think, you know, that's a great way to kind of close us talking now is that, you know, Dan's got himself into a position that he is in that now where he's relatively happy with what he's doing he's involved in projects that excite him but not without like making some difficult decisions which I think is one of the, the key things to being a happy musician you yeah, know, to sometimes absolutely. make those it, decisions yeah, you know? this is an industry that will not let up and I'm only in this for, I've not even been in it for like 10 years and I can already see that it's vicious 
and the only way to fight back in it is just enjoy yourself as much as you can mm. and it seems like a cliche but the thing is people smell dishonesty from a mile yes away, yeah right? of course so if you're going to go out there and try and think that faking it till you make it's going to work it will not especially in the metal and rock industry because Everyone here hates liars. Yeah, yeah. Do not get into the habit of trying it's to... It's kind of a really small community when you look at it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just to finish up on the Reaper things... Um, sure. From July onwards, we're kind of just building up a lot of our background stuff. Um, and then August, we've got that show and... Uh, We've got that show in the armor in. We're basically, at the moment, kind of piecing together a lot of like the behind-the-scenes things, but yeah. equally writing a ton of material. Yeah. When it comes to September, I'll be doing my acoustic tour, so we'll probably be a little bit quieter on then. And then from October right the way through to December, we're looking for gigs. Just, just scouting the show for the entirety of that. Yeah. Then, because no one played, because no one comes to shows from wherever we've played from December through to January, we're taking that month to kind of potentially either record... Or we're going to be spending that time writing tunes for album three so that we've got something in hock for when we yeah, yeah. to record it. And then from March onwards, it's just 2020 is just gig year, mate. Yeah, yeah. Every, just the whole year is going to be spent piecing together songs for album three and playing as many goddamn shows as we can. That's it. See, that's it. Like, if, if, if there's a last thing you take from this, uh, anybody listeners that, you know, we talk about pivoting, about moving to doing the things you want to do. We talk about positivity. But we're also talking about just fucking working hard, playing shows, yeah getting yourself out there and, and that's going to be that, that, that is the, you know people looking for a secret there's a secret to success or whatever the, the, the hard work is probably the, the largest part of it if you work hard and you're not a knobhead and you, you, you approach people with a bit of respect and approach people with a bit of positivity and be that guy um, you know, you will get those things those things will come to you you know be prepared um, to fail yeah be prepared to fail because there are plenty of things that you will do in the instances and you're going to suck at them straight up I was a God awful vocalist for a long time, and I've gotten to the it's only really rather recently now that I've got myself into a position where it's like, yeah, I can do this. I can do Fuck this. You did that like that live Facebook stream where you're doing the entire album of uh, deconstruction and Ocean Machine. That's yeah. fucking ridiculous. That's, That's just ridiculous. to test myself, and there are plenty of points in that where I heard, and I was like, I can do that better, this better, yeah, that yeah. better, this better. But overall, give yourself a lot of criticism, but don't give yourself a lot of shit. There's a very <laughs> yes. strong difference. Yeah. Because yeah. if you criticise yourself, you'll get better. If you give yourself shit, you won't carry on doing it. Wow. That's it. What, what a great place to leave that. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fantastic. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having uh, me. What did we get? Like got like what good hour and a half there in this Lovely. sweaty room. That's pretty good going. It's been it's been in the gym, isn't it? Oh, cool. Lovely. So that was a little chat there with Daniel Moran, a really, you know, really interesting, I thought, involving and uh, quite engaging sort of conversation. I thought if you get something from it, that's great. But uh, yeah, certainly check out Reaper, which is Daniel's current current band. He's got a whole load of other projects. He's out doing this uh, duo acoustic thing that's coming up as well as acoustic sort of projects, really interesting. Always worth looking at and keeping an eye on. He's one of those guys, I was saying to someone last night at the show, uh, was that last night? It was just a really interesting guy, one of those ones you would keep an eye on because he's going to do some great stuff. Really worth kind of checking out what he's doing at the moment. Reaper being the main thing that he's that he's looking at. I would strongly suggest looking at their work that they've done now and keeping an eye on them. Until then, though, uh, thanks for listening to the show. It means the absolute world to me that people come up to me at shows and what have you and, and online and, and send me messages saying how much that they enjoy listening to the show. It still blows me mind, but I'm never ever not thankful for that like you know i'm really really thankful that everybody listens and i'm listening to what you're saying and the things that you're sending back to me as well and that's it's I, i'm absolutely blown away thank you very much it proves that metal is a very very strong community and um, it re- really proves the kind of 
there is a scene out there and people talk which i just want to help try and bring that together to a certain degree and want to help people kind of uh talk to each other about metal and how just how powerful a force it is if you will that sounds corny doesn't it a powerful a force but it fucking is because you know people come to shows sometimes and they don't know anybody else and they meet other people and uh, it's much, much, much more than the than, than music, and it always will be. It's it's like like anything. It's it's a whole culture of 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 the whole thing of metal. It's 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 how you view other people. It's how you interact with people. It's everything. Music is is an incredibly important part of my life, and I'm sure incredibly important of your life as well. You wouldn't be listening to us, I don't think, if it wasn't. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. It's not about how many people listen to me or how many likes or any of that shit. It's not about that. It's nice if people do, and it's nice if people leave comments on iTunes and things like that. That's that's I that's the only way we can spread the word, if I'm honest with you, about the show. If you really like this show, that's why I want you to like and share it so other people can hear it. But if I had 10,000 likes or you know, a million likes or whatever, all that would help is spread the word it wouldn't change what i'm doing here because i uh, this is just me talking about how i feel about things and talking to people like daniel moran about how they feel about metal and the genre and music as a whole as well so thank you again thanks for listening um, and i'm glad i hope i hope you enjoy the show Take my friend and you stole my blood Take my friend and you stole my blood Take my friend and you stole my blood